At maximum mediocrity, people say things like, I don't dress like this on a regular basis. This isn't my, you know, pooping uniform. This is not <laughs> And they also say things like, the, the nurses are usually either angels of mercy or whores. Every episode is a new experience where you get to know people that aren't famous, but should be. Why did my face in Floyd Mayweather in the Woods. My co-host Morgan and I track down the people you didn't know you needed to hear from. It's like hot sex in a mug. We are the Maximum Mediocrity Podcast, and we are on all major podcasting platforms. We'll be waiting for you. Are you a fan of young adult novels? Have you ever wondered the stories behind the people who wrote your favorite young adult novels? Then join author Eric J. Brown and Alyssa Lube of Netflix's The Circle every other Tuesday on YAOK. Available on all podcasting apps. Woo! At maximum mediocrity, people say things like, I don't dress like this on a regular basis. This isn't my, you know, pooping uniform. This is not <laughs> And they also say things like, the, the nurses are usually either angels of mercy or whores. Every episode is a new experience where you get to know people that aren't famous, but should be. Why did my face in Floyd Mayweather in the Woods. My co-host Morgan and I track down the people you didn't know you needed to hear from. It's like hot sex in a mug. We are the Maximum Mediocrity Podcast, and we are on all major podcasting platforms. We'll be waiting for you. All right, here we are. We've made it to the final parody on the self-titled album. So crazy. It's the final parody. Yeah. Another one rides believe. the bus. Yeah. Another one rides the bus is a parody of Another One Bites the Dust by Queen. The narrator laments about a crowded public bus. This on the album is the original 1980s recording from the Dr. Demento show studio. And boy, does it show. Oh, my God. Yes. You know, you've, you know, so far, and I'm going to assume it's going to hold, you have done better than me at doing the deep dive of research before these episodes, because I don't know this. I genuinely don't. Like, was there an attempt to do a studio version of this song? I don't know. And it's so interesting that they, you know, there's a thing. This live version that, like, according to, so the story that I read was that he was in the studio and he was like, hey, I just recently wrote another parody. We can do it right now if you want. And this was kind of just like an impromptu live take. Yeah. And Dr. Demento was like, the phones were blowing up to hear it again. (laughs) And he's like, I've never been so glad that I recorded something because like it could have very easily been like, it just happened and then that was it. Yeah, it was gone. But like he thought enough to hit record before it happened. So like- I don't know if Al just liked the spontaneity of the performance or what. Yeah, it sounds to me, you know, there's a thing in music. I don't know how common this term is, but I've always heard it referred to as demo-itis. Yes. Which is when you're making, you know, you do a demo of a track just as like a placeholder thing. And you become so attached to the demo that when you do the better sounding proper recording, even though it's better in every 
logical way. It just doesn't feel as good to you. You can't get past the fact that that demo, something about the demo has a quality that you can't reproduce. I've I've had that as a listener on like compilations where yeah. a comp will come out and they'll have a demo version of a song for like yep. an upcoming album. And then by the time I hear this, the album version, I'm kind of like, oh, <laughs> yeah. I feel like the heart and soul was sucked out of this for some yeah, reason. Yeah, it, it really does happen. <laughs> and it, it can be, um, yeah, because I mean, it's as a listener, even for the artist, the artist says the same thing. Like when you record it, you have to listen to, you end up listening to that demo a lot. Yeah. And then when you go to record it properly, I mean, I've had it. This It's a real thing. It happens all the time. And sometimes you end up releasing the demo. I've had songs with bands that have just been scrapped because you're like, well, the demo is not good enough. And that studio version is missing something and we don't know what's wrong with it. Yeah. And you just kind of lose it in that process. Like if you can't get it to the place that you need it to be at. And I don't know a history of this. I would guess that some version of that might have happened. Or maybe Al just had the foresight from the beginning of just like, you know what? This is good enough. I want to run with it. Yeah, I mean it I I think personally with this particular song, kind of in a similar vein as my Bologna, the youth of Al kind of shows yeah. a little bit in this, where I think the concept of the song is funnier than the actual result of yeah. the song. But there are like there are little flourishes that I think hint to like a bigger future. One of the things that I noticed when I was looking at like the liner notes for this song, uh, and I didn't write down their names, but uh, in the wiki notes, in the like personnel liner notes, it has a list of a few people and their instrument is just listed as insanities. <laughs> and and I feel like that is the the main word to describe like what makes parts of this self-titled work is that there is just, it's an insane sounding album that yes. none of his other albums matched. It's very true. I remember there was a brief period of time, uh, and you can probably find the video somewhere, but like Ben Folds was doing like this weird project where it was like making instruments out of garbage and then trying to like cover songs with it. And there's a cover that he did of like such great heights that way, where it's like people are literally like banging tissue boxes and shit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, but it's like you feel that in this song, like that he showed up with the accordion. And like John's there banging on the the accordion case, and then I guess there was just other people in Demento's studio that just like grabbed xylophones and shit, and were just like making noise to like fill out the sound. It, it really is interesting because when you listen to it, it sounds as sponta spontaneous as it is. Um, you hear what I feel like if you listen closely could be undeniable, just straight mistakes. Yes. There's little weird rhythmic changes. Like I think um, is it correct that. Um, is it John Schwartz playing yeah, the, and he's John just Schwartz. hitting, he's, he's just hitting a case. Yeah. So I also watched a live video of them performing this. It was his first televised anything was him yeah. doing this song and we'll get into that. But based on the way that he's drumming it on there and then listening to this, it sounds like he's doing the same thing, which is that he is sitting with the accordion case between his legs and he's pounding on the top of it. Yeah. And then every couple beats banging the sides with both hands. Right. So it's like a, yeah, so cool. Like it's it's insane. It's it sounds great. Honestly, like that yeah. like in terms of like it being effective for what it is, it sounds like it's great. There's a real element of if you ever heard like Skiffle records from like yes. the 60s, Absolutely. it feels like Skiffle. It does. And for those of you who don't know what Skiffle is, uh it was like a British it was like a British music movement essentially where you were like building instruments out of household objects and just playing crazy stuff 
Like, yeah. Like household instruments, but true, like virtuoso musicians playing yes. this stuff using non-real instruments. Very interesting, like musical uh, sort of movement or time period or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Literally think of like jug band stuff, like putting yeah. a broomstick into a pan with a string and using that as a bass and stuff. Like it's... It's wild. I think the Beatles actually started technically as a skiffle band as well. But I think that's right. I think, yeah, yeah they, they, that's how they started. It's true. What I lack in music talent, I <laughs> make up for in just studying the history of music theory. Another interesting thing about this that, you know, I know a little bit of trivia about this song because this is just like, you know, we were saying like My Bologna is the first single, but really this is, this is the true beginning of his meteoric shoot to the stars. He recorded this, they did it, and they were like gonna release it. And apparently only after they had recorded it were in the process did they find out that were like, I, they, didn't they get a message from like Queen's management? I they think were like, so, hey, you but, have to pay for this. And they were like, what? Like, yeah, but, that was but just Brian so not May on the radar. Brian said that he loved the song. Like Brian, Brian May, May did say that he loved it. Which is cool. I mean, three of the songs that we've talked about, like the artists have actively, yeah. even at this time, been like, Yo, that was great. You know what I mean? Like, and I and yeah. I think that that's like the ongoing theme. It's kind of what like in retrospect made Coolio feel so dumb about the whole situation. <laughs> yeah, is is just how many artists take this now as a badge of honor that totally. that they totally. made such an impression that Al parodied them. Coolio is not the bad guy in that situation. It was it was a messy, complicated scenario yes but but it is one of those things where it's like how do you get angry at this it's <laughs> like, true and well and funny enough a lot of the examples i mean there are some straight examples of artists just telling him no like yeah. directly no but a lot of the issues that he's had with confusion has often come from internal management not getting it and the artist not being like privy to it and like just not understanding what they're agreeing to or not agreeing to exactly something exactly. very similar happened with lady gaga where she swore that she was not asked her management said no on her behalf. And oh. again, that's another thing to come back well, to Well, I know later. that there was, uh, and we'll we'll talk about this on, a, on an episode at some point because it didn't make it to the album, but there was also, I think there was some weirdness with James Blunt where he like recorded the parody and everything was good to go. And then at the last second, it was like, no, you can't put it out. <laughs> we'll have to do a little bit more research. My understanding is I think that also might have been a label problem more than yeah. a James Blunt problem. Oh, for sure. We actually recently did on One Hit Thunder, uh, this was the artist on this one, was mm. uh, Daniel Powder said no to a parody of Bad Day. Oh, really? <laughs> and then shortly after tried to be like, actually, I changed my mind. <laughs> and Al straight up told him that the ship had sailed. <laughs> like, yeah, I love like that. The, the chance. Sorry, dude. <laughs> like, yeah, I would imagine if Al gets soured on the idea, it's just like, well, that's that. I'm not yeah. going to come back to it now. And I would have um, loved to hear it because it was apparently called Bad Date. And that just sounds like a perfect. Oh, I mean, I think see, that yeah, that's fun. But I, I, we can all envision some of the lyrics to that yeah, song. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I want to talk about the first televised performance. I'm not sure if you uh, stumbled upon it or not, but it was. I have seen it before. I'm actually doing a quick uh, silent uh, revisiting of it right now. On my, yes. My so computer. it was on something called The Tomorrow Show. Yeah. I personally think that the live version is better than the version that we get on this album, even though it's more stripped down because you don't have all those insane sounds. Yeah. But there's something so cool about Again, all the credit to John Schwartz here. He's banging on this accordion case, and he also has a bunch of bulb horns attached to the accordion case that he's taking the time to honk while he's doing the drumming. And yeah. then he's got like 
<laughs> like Bob Dylan with a harmonica got like a whole thing of kazoos and other things that he can blow into while he's doing the drumming and he's doing backup vocals. Like That's is, a, that is a tall order. It, it's really amazing looking to see him doing all of that. Yeah, it's crazy. And he's not missing a beat on the drum no. rhythm either, which is, I mean, again, some of the best musicians in music just backing this dude up. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's incredible. I mean, I, this is I had forgotten. This is so great because this is also like we, Al has his rainbow pants on <laughs> and a kind of like rock and roll looking like sort of I don't know if it's a jacket or just like a, a button up shirt and stuff. It's like as per usual for Al, it's like it living in this like slightly middle ground where it's like there's real rock and roll energy. And then also it's immediately deflated by the accordion and the rainbow like But, but pants. it's also like. I think what's so fascinating about this video, and if you guys have a chance, I'll, I'll try to link it into the show notes as well so you can watch it's, it. Yeah, it's definitely worth watching. But it's it's interesting to watch because this is also your first experience of someone not within that Dr. Demento world having to experience Weird Al. And he like, he I, you get the vibe that he doesn't know what to do with this stuff. Yeah. But at the same time, like it's called The Tomorrow Show. The best that I can assume based on the very little that I know about this show is that it's probably like a one in the morning, 2 a.m. type late night Borderline public show. access, yeah. Yeah, and and I was thinking when I was watching it, like, where would you even get exposure like this in 2022? It's kind of true, yeah. At maximum mediocrity, people say things like, I don't dress like this on the regular basis. This isn't my, you know, pooping uniform. This is not <laughs> <laughs> And they also say things like, the, the nurses are usually either angels of mercy or whores. Every episode is a new experience where you get to know people that aren't famous, but should be. Why am I facing Floyd Mayweather in the Woods. My co-host Morgan and I track down the people you didn't know you needed to hear from. It's like hot sex in a mug. We are the Maximum Mediocrity Podcast, and we are on all major podcasting platforms. We'll be waiting for you. Are you a fan of young adult novels? Have you ever wondered the stories behind the people who wrote your favorite young adult novels? Then join author Eric J. Brown and Alyssa Lube of Netflix's The Circle every other Tuesday on YAOK. Available on all podcasting apps. Woo! Because I'm looking at it and and the show that it's making me think of, and we're about to go down a whole nother rabbit hole. We did this a couple weeks ago with the state, but do you remember Oddville MTV on where it was like a vaudeville show on MTV in the 90s? Wow. You know what? I don't know this. So it was a New Jersey, New York public access show called like Beyond Vaudeville. Mm -hmm. And it was literally just hey, like, let's bring in these weird vaudeville acts. So it'd be like a sword swallower and like, you know, hey, this guy does rockabilly yodeling music and like yeah. just like the strangest stuff they could find. And in the 90s, like what better content to put on MTV? So oh, they yeah. literally bought them and changed the name to Oddville USA or sometimes Oddville MTV. And it turned into they would still do their shtick, but they would have celebrity guests watching 
So it'd be like <laughs> Kevin Smith and Joey uh, Lauren Adams sitting on the couch, and then it'd be like, here's the human pin cushion, and they'd just be sitting there, and a guy would walk out and just hammer nails into his face for a couple minutes. Wow. And then they would interview Kevin Smith a little bit more about the movie, and then be like, uh-oh, here comes Benny Bell. And then sure <laughs> enough, Benny Bell walks out with a ukulele and sings Shaving Cream. And then they wow. go back to their interview. Like it was just like you were doing an interview that was constantly being interrupted by vaudeville sideshow acts. I, I can't believe I didn't know about this. That's so Dude, interesting. I was like, let me read this list to you. Like a more modern example that I was just going to draw the parallel to was something like, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Chris Gethard show. Vaguely. 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 So Chris Gethard had a show. It was on public access for years. Gethard is a fantastic stand-up comedian and writer and a podcast guy actually now who um, ran this public access show that was basically just an absolute chaotic live free for all. It went on to true TV. I think it was true TV for like maybe two or three seasons and managed to keep it live. And it survived for a little while there and eventually ended. But in terms of a modern or a very current, because that only ended a couple years ago, that had a similar chaotic almost vaudeville style energy he would bring in random characters from the streets of new york there was a live audience in the room but it was just all such chaos and pandemonium and that's the sort of thing where i could imagine someone like al being a guest musician nowadays yeah um no that's that totally ha- it had that kind of energy to it where it just and it seemed like anybody could have walked in off the street and played some weird song like this so i'm gonna read a list of some of the the artists that they had on the show mm-hmm. um when they were on mtv and keep in mind that this is 1997. So for a lot of these artists, it's very early in their career. Yeah. Um, but they had OMC, Tonic, Hanson performed on there. Mm. Throw back to One Hit Thunder. Yeah. Kay's Choice, The Lemonheads. Like they would always end with like a band performing. Bloodhound Gang played on there. The John Spencer Blues Explosion. Like mm. it was a very specific, you know, like they weren't going to bring on like NSYNC. Yeah, yeah, to yeah. do something. Um, the Toasters, Sugar Ray, Fun Loving Criminals, Ween, Ween performed on there. Wow. The Rollins Band, Real Big Fish. Like it was a lot of just ska and weird, like outside the fringe type music that they wow. were bringing in to perform on this show. And then like I'm scrolling through and looking at their guest list, and it's like Stephen Baldwin, Andy Dick. Like those were yeah. like the people that they were trying to interview while it was all happening. David Tell. Um, Joey Panaloni, Ryder Strong, like just like a weird, wow. it was a wild show and you can find some like really terrible VHS rips on YouTube that people have uploaded because like, unfortunately 90s MTV was some of the best stuff that they've ever produced and it's also the hardest stuff to find <laughs> anymore. So true. Like all of those tapes are gone. I, I went through like a month where I just watched all every rerun of remote control I could find on YouTube because I just think it's like TV gaming perfection. Yeah, that was a great show. I also know like we talked about the state and the state when MTV put that back out, they all have the problems with licensing all the songs oh, the that got used. That was a constant problem for them. Going back to that stuff now, they can't even if they have it to be unearthed, it can't be shared because it's a uh, yeah. Same with Daria, they had to literally go through and do like sound alike re-recordings of everything. That's right. I have not watched this show beyond its first episode. It's a very popular okay. show. Another one rides the bus. This is directly from Wiki. Another one rides the bus was used in the Walking Dead season eight opening episode, Mercy, featuring an ambiguous <laughs> scene of a gray-haired, bearded Rick Grimes joining his family, including his young daughter, Judith. Many critics and commentators noted that the use of another one rides the bus was idiosyncratic. Uh, Yankovic even tweeted, I'm just as confused <laughs> as you are. Wow. But I am extremely honored. 
The showrunner later told Entertainment Weekly that he had chosen the track because it had to be a song that he wanted Judith to be really into. The showrunner also said that the use of, he wanted the music to be even more jarring than Rick's elderly appearance. Man, I watched Walking Dead for a brief period and then I fell off uh, on it. I did not make it to season eight. But if I had been watching that show and had seen that happen just without knowing, that would have I would have been dumbfounded for... <laughs> A very long time, as it sounds like a lot of people were. That's so weird. Such a weird choice. I I think my problem, I, I love horror movies. Yeah, me too. But like, by the time Walking Dead came out, I was just so over the zombie thing at that point. And the fact that it went for almost double digit seasons. Yeah. Just too much for me. <laughs> I enjoyed the early... Um, I think I watched the first maybe three seasons of it, yeah. and I enjoyed large portions of it before I just felt like it was hard for me to stay excited about. Well, that um, that that was my problem with the comics too. Was I yeah. felt like the comics, the the Walking Dead comics hit a specific point where it was like, oh great, Rick and everybody found another community that's surviving in the apocalypse, and yeah. it's it seems like it's a utopia. Uh oh, they're eating people, or oh, they're maybe doing. It's not so nice after all. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, and it, and then it was also like you get to this certain point where it's like, listen, guys, clearly everyone's doing whatever they can to survive. Maybe you guys are the assholes for busting up their nice little communities every it, time it, you show up. It's a valid question. <laughs> like, um, it's so true. It's so true. I mean, yeah, you know, it's funny. Again, I know you. You have a whole uh, <laughs> horror movie uh, podcasting. Uh, world on the side but um and so not to get into too much but generally speaking like in the zombie world i feel like that's one of those subgenres of horror that is very difficult to break new ground on 100 and when someone does now i'm really impressed and i am so psyched to see it so much of it has just been done and redone a million times and yeah it's yeah. every once in a while you get one but like you know especially like where do you go after Shaun of the dead did such a perfect like it's the same thing with the slasher film. Like I've heard yeah. a million people say, like you can't, you can't do a serious slasher film after a scream has existed that is pointed out. I know, it kind of just blows fall. up the whole genre. Yeah, um, and like, how do you like the fact that people just kept making zombie movies after Shaun of the Dead, like literally poked holes in like every I facet know. of zombieism is is very difficult to wrap your head around. It is. I mean, you know, there's some great, like, you know, I, I loved, um, I thought Train to Busan was really good. Yeah, no, there's the fun ones. I like Anna and the Apocalypse. One Cut of the Dead. One Cut of the Dead masterpiece. is brilliant. Brilliant. Uh, in terms of skewering the genre in a different way. That is one of those films that I actually get emotional while watching because it's such a beautiful love letter to just creating shit with your friends. Exactly. <laughs> like, like exactly. It's, it's such a wonderful love letter to that. All right. It's an amazing movie to show people. I know we've gone way off. We've gone another way one rides off. the bus. We, we've gone away. But like, is there anything we want to talk about with the actual song and the composition? Because like you said, this is, this is the lo-fi moment in the record that I almost feel like as much as I think Ricky is a perfect opener, this would have made more sense up at the front of the album than like near the end of the album. It's kind of true. It's, it is an odd thing to drop right in the middle like this because I mean, not in the middle, we're approaching the end, but because it does feel like such an outlier. I don't know. I guess the fear with a record like this is if you put this at the top, make it the you always closer. have the fear that if people don't listen any further, yeah, that they're going to just think the whole record sounds like this. 
Like then someone's going to put it on and hear 10 seconds of this and be like, oh, this album sounds like shit. And yeah. just never get any then, further then than that. Then almost close the album with it or something. It just feels You could, so... but I, I mean, you're going to not close with Mr. Frump? That's true. But it's just... <laughs> That's a tough be- call. Between the high production value of last week's checks in the mail yes. and like I'm mellow when I'm dead also has this incredible production. This just feels like such a weird immediate dip in quality it feels like a bonus track that someone stuck in the middle of the record 100%. instead of putting it yeah because i was gonna say the end of the record it's i don't like it as a closer but if you thought of it through the lens of like bonus track it's like okay i can see that that makes, makes the most sense or maybe right before mr frump because i feel like maybe. this yeah. could lead into the low fineness of mr frump really well but just in between the two songs that is yeah. in between it is it sticks out like a sore thumb uh, especially like two of the most sort of like big production tracks on the record. This is smack in the middle and it is, yeah, it's, it's jarring in its lo-fi-ness. So the question is, Matt, yes, where do you put this amongst the other parodies right now? This goes above, um, stop dragging my car around. Okay. But that's it. Ricky. Okay. Below Ricky. Okay. And that's, uh, obviously our rankings at the top are a little different, but I yeah. agree. It is not, I, I don't dislike it as much as stop dragging my car around. Um, you know what? I'll also throw this out. I can't believe I didn't mention this before we wrap up. Probably the most annoying Al's vocals have ever been to me as well. <laughs> like, and I know that it's intentional and I know he's doing it over the top, but when he yeah. does that, like, like it like yeah. actually is nails on a chalkboard to me. I really don't like it. It, it is a very over the top. There's another, this is, I love hinting at the stuff coming up. There's another song uh, in the, in the Al catalog with that. I feel like he intentionally sings really poorly. Yeah. And uh, we'll get to that in the not too distant future. All right. Um, but this is also unique in that sense where it's, and it's live, you know, I can't even fault him. I think he's, you know, He's hamming it up a little bit again. This is he's young. He's trying to find where the comedy is here, and he is leaning into like the weird vocal thing a little too much. Like it would be better if he sang it more straight. I think one hundred percent. And that li- I think that's also why I like that live performance mel- more is that it is a little, a little bit, bit more pulled back. Yeah, on there, and he even cuts the like like short. Yeah, and like leans away from the mic. So I think. I think even in the time that he recorded this in 1980 and performed on TV in 1981, he already kind of figured out the things that he didn't like, which yeah. raises again the question, why not just re-record it? It's it's <laughs> so interesting. Way. And again, I you know, again, I, I as we talk about these things for people who are listening to the show, if anyone has any insight for us, please let us know. Please, yes. I would bet just about anything that they tried to re-record this and abandon ship. Yep. And was like, we're going to go with this version. We have it. It works. We know people People responded to it. That's the reason why he has a career, basically, because people responded to this version on the radio so well, or at least this was the start of a big moment for him. So they must have just been like, let's not mess with a good thing. Yeah, let's good, not mess with perfection. Good in quotes, I guess, because it's, <laughs> you know, it's fine. And yeah, we're going to roll with it. All right. Well, next week, we as we've hinted, we're going to be going way back up in the production quality from this one mm-hmm. uh, with another really over-the-top production one that I have a fun little game for us to play on that one. Oh, I've, my God. I've... I'm so excited. <laughs> I love games. Hey, do you have an idea for a podcast but don't know where to start? Or do you have an already existing podcast that you want to take to the next level? Well, check out WeKnowPodcasting.com. 
From concept development to theme music to editing to logos, we know podcasting.com is a one-stop shop for all things pod. Don't hesitate to hit us up. We're very nice. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. At maximum mediocrity, people say things like, I don't dress like this on the regular basis. This isn't my, you know, pooping uniform. This is not <laughs> <laughs> And they also say things like, the, the nurses are usually either angels of mercy or whores. Every episode is a new experience where you get to know people that aren't famous but should be. Why am I facing Floyd Mayweather in the Woods. My co-host Morgan and I track down the people you didn't know you needed to hear from. It's like hot sex in a mug. We are the Maximum Mediocrity Podcast, and we are on all major podcasting platforms. We'll be waiting for you. Are you a fan of young adult novels? Have you ever wondered the stories behind the people who wrote your favorite young adult novels? Then join author Eric J. Brown and Alyssa Lube of Netflix's The Circle every other Tuesday on YAOK. Available on all podcasting apps. Woo! You're listening to the Geekscape Network.